Hello and welcome to the fifth On The Vine podcast with me, Yaz Kirk, and the founder of Novel Wines, Ben Franks. Yep, thanks very much, Yaz. Each week we're going to dive into the world of weird and wonderful wine, and we're going to do it with a very special guest every time. We've got a very special guest in today, haven't we, Yaz? Yes, as always. So we speak to experts from the Southwest uh, about their business and all things wine. Yep, this week we've got Helen Rich, who's the CEO of Tasted Buff. So let's dive right in. Helen, thank you very much for joining us this week. Uh, tell me a little bit about what Taste of Bath is, please. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, Taste of Bath is a gifting company, and we specialise in making gift boxes, which use the best local produce made within 15 miles of Bath, and we send it all over the UK for our clients, and we send it all over the world for our business clients. So what does bath taste like? What's included in the boxes? Oh, I love that. What's, what's bath taste like? Uh, Bath's got some of the best produce in the world. We um, source all of our food from in around the city. So handmade chocolates by Nick in Newton St. Lowe, some gorgeous handmade fudge in Bradford-on-Avon. Of course, there's all the best sellers. So we've got bath soft cheese, honey midford cider, and of course, bath gin. Amazing. Nice, Bath yeah. has a, um, much like Bristol, I guess, has a very uh, independent, unique nature about it, doesn't it, the city? Mm. So I guess that makes your job quite easy in some um, sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's easy. It's kind of all about discovering new producers. So when people uh, start up a food business, it's about being in touch with them from the beginning and making sure that we're showcasing all the new produce to people. Um, I think... There's always an independent scene anywhere in the UK and it's just about discovering it. So not everyone can afford to go down to markets, you know, people are time poor. So what we're doing is trying to make all of that easily accessible online. How did you uh, originally put it together? So in, in the early stages, how did you find and discover these suppliers? I mean, being a foodie, it's kind of, it's it's not a job. <laughs> Going out and trying loads and loads of food. Um, I used to work as a food producer myself. So I used to attend lots of markets and, you know, you do classic kind of swapsies yeah. <laughs> um, at the markets, which was great. Um, there's so much out there. And once you start sort of saying, right, I need to go and identify these people, um, you know, you're asking, my husband gets really fed up in every restaurant. I'm like, ooh, where's this from? What's that from? Yeah. You know, yeah. who makes this? And uh, sort of tracking them down. Because actually, food producers don't necessarily do loads of marketing. They um, attend markets or you might come across them. So, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit like trying to sort of hunt for new talent and encouraging people to start their own businesses as well. And do you have a certain set of um, criteria then, a tick list of, of what these producers, uh, you know, must have or must do? Yeah, I've never been asked that before. Um, it's it's really important, actually. Um, firstly, that they are uh, really aware of things like allergens, um, that they've got a really high uh, food rating, because if we're selling their produce for them, we don't want to have anything that would be risk to anybody. Um, branding is massively important. We're becoming like an online uh, focus shopping sort of 
culture and people buy by brand so it needs to be a beautiful looking product otherwise people won't buy it because they won't trust it um and most importantly it's got to taste good so I've put on about a stone and a half since starting this business (laughs) just eating loads of food and we don't take every single product that someone makes we only take their best sellers or the best tasting and what was the trigger for like going these are all great foods and suppliers I'm going to put it in a box what was that moment (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't actually the original idea the original idea was to be like a cardo or someone or other supermarkets are available (laughs) 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 but it's um it was about making local food accessible to people so being Mm. like an online food service and then lots of people kept saying oh no you know can I make this a box can I give this to so and so um so in the last three and a half years we've constantly adapted the business to fit what the consumer wants and what the consumer wants is to be able to gift product from their home city or if they don't live in Bath to sample the best of the city um in a gift format and that's what our clients want that's what our customers want so that's what we do and they're all beautifully packaged and really nicely branded so how did that come about what was the what was the concept process of the brand i think it's um it's about being a bit of a snob about it actually like you know what what would I want to receive if I was getting a gift and not compromising so we came up originally with the English apple crates but they're too uh, bulky people feel like they're giving something too big to people and they feel a bit awkward about it um so then we introduced the black uh taste bath box and people like the price point they also like the fact that it looks elegant they can use it to put like magazines or paper clips or you know man draw stuff in so they can keep it um and then we've just not compromised on the branding it's become kind of a thing in its own right it's so important that people are aware that this is a taste bath product um so we've been really focused on what it looks like and how we deliver it and make sure it's immaculate um because there's no point compromising our producers don't compromise on their food so we shouldn't compromise on how we package it so online then um and i guess do you use social media as well is that a big platforms for you yeah social media is um i mean it's massive it's it's a community of people and and it's about engaging with them um we do newsletters and we do you know magazines and things but social is just a way in which we just interact with each other um the majority of what i do though is actually with businesses so i'm i'm more in the business sector um and linkedin's huge for that yeah um, definitely. i love linkedin it's just <laughs> it's um a really easy format to communicate with people um so yeah we're just out and about and constantly networking and spending time with people and um it's about relationships whether on social or in real life yes it's sort of building this both online and offline community Mm. of independence customers that sort of thing Mm. um and I hear that you've you actually got a different name. I mean, you're otherwise known as Bath's Pate Lady. <laughs> yeah. So how did that uh, sort of influence what you do today? Uh, so before doing Taste of Bath, as say, I was a producer, I taught myself butchery. So I'm a bit oh, of a dab wow. ham with a knife. <laughs> um, and <laughs> yeah, I once butchered 48 guinea fowl all in a row, which was uh, an interesting <laughs> middle-class problem. Um, but... Um, yeah about five and a half years ago I started Rich Pickings which is taken off my name and we made pate 
and um some of the best pate just <laughs> jump you. in there and say it was delicious <laughs> yeah it was um it was brilliant and i think it was such an education and i have such a respect for what pr- food producers do you know they make the same product day in day out um they're artists in their own right people who think that food producers just do it because they like making jam it's not about that it's it's about coming up with new concepts and recipes and um doing it because you're passionate about it so yeah i still get stopped in the street and people like pate lady where's your pate gone (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like sorry i don't have time to do both um which some people are quite angry about because they literally we did have pate addicts um wow yeah Mm. (laughs) <laughs> a little fan following. <laughs> yeah, we do. Chicken liver and white pork parfait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> okay. So this is not just any pate. Oh, no, no, no. No, no this was, um, yeah. And we didn't put any filler in it. So it was all uh, gluten-free and um, using the best produce. So, yeah. Brilliant. And uh, in terms of going back to Toasted Bath, mm. your producers now, they, you talk about art and about the local element. How important is the story to your brand and to your customers and everyone? I think uh, it's about authenticity. And in this day and age, people are so constantly bombarded with stuff and people get really fed up of being sold something and we're taste of the authenticity of what we do uh, and the authenticity of what our producers do. We are just relaying that story um, to people. So... For example, our producers would never get an opportunity to speak to people like the Ivy or big hotel groups. And we tell their story for them and we open up doors that they would never have. So I think telling people their stories on behalf of them, and I'm sure it's the same with you and your wine, actually, you know, novel wines. I think it's um, it's that uniqueness. It's that USP. Um, and it's it's not trying to flog something that's not real, you know, and I think that cuts through nowadays people like that yeah i was gonna say it seems to me the relationship you have um via taste of bath with Mm. with um, the people you work with and the relationship novel wines you have with your vineyards and and things like that seem very similar Mm. do you think it's a good model it is yeah oh yeah we're both fabulous (laughs) (laughs) i think helen's right though it's about bringing something to the consumer that is more than a commodity right it's about Mm. having that experience broadcasted with them and also the people they're with because i imagine you have a lot of your customers opening the box and sharing it with Mm. the people around them right yeah people do and uh we put a little um provenance scroll in each box so that you can hear the story of each producer while you're eating it so you're sharing it and you're going "Ooh, so this fudge is made by paul who lives in (laughs) craft on avon and it's that kind of fun engagement and i think um what people crave now is you're all on your phones or you're watching videos or you're out of work, it's all screen time. And what people crave is uh, communication and a true form. So I think um, we're linking big business with small little producers. They're all telling their stories in their own way for, yes, their own benefit, but also it's creating a community. And I know that um, with Ben's annual event, I've been and tried loads of wine and, um, you know, we're meeting people like the uh, 
wine producers and they're meeting their customers and I think that relationship is something that's quite unique and I suppose we are quite similar in that way yeah. aren't we connecting kind of the maker and the and the end user yeah in a way we're art curators we are like yeah, <laughs> our favorite art food and drink <laughs> potentially the best form of art yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah we are. so does that uh do you two overlap at all um does taste of bath have a particular wine or wine producer or something like that that you you go to uh yeah so i've got a local wine which i use which is raxels um and but (laughs) because we're limited in our stock to what's made within um a certain radius of bath I get my clients all the time asking me for English red wine. We don't have any of that made in this area. So quite frequently I'll call Ben and go, Ben, Ben, have you got have you got any local English wines red nearby? Can you hook me up? Um, so it may not be within our remit, but yeah, we find there's quite a lot of crossover mm. and we share a lot of advice both being sort of CEOs of businesses mm. um based in Bath um me and Ben are good friends because of that because we help each other out yeah yeah I'm, I'm good friends with someone who's a foodie like Helen definitely for all those brilliant food <laughs> contacts <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um in terms of English red locally the only people doing it really well in Somerset and I might get my head bitten off for this but is Oldwick Estate they're making really nice red wines but they're in the Mendips so slightly outside of bath but um yeah they're making some really nice wines at the moment but it's mainly in sussex but the 2018 vintage could see that all change we had really beautiful weather all through the year so maybe raxel might come up with a red we never know (laughs) could be interesting i don't know (laughs) hopefully do you want to go taste testing i would be happy to yeah (laughs) can i come as well you know of course yeah an impartial impartial voice um yeah that's brilliant i mean so you've kind of in a way mastered bath with all these brilliant producers do you have uh steps to kind of bring that out and do it elsewhere as well yeah so um it's bath's always been the concept and it being home and um all my community you know in the food world and business world it's um it's fantastic the plan has never been to saturate bath as a market because you know you can bang a drum in many ways but um my plan is to go to bristol next year launch taste bristol amazing uh bristol produce i'll need food testers please okay. yes I'll, I'll be there yeah and drinks <laughs> testers and wine testers please so um so we'll be doing taste bristol in blue boxes bristol blue oh, um, I love that. yeah and um kind of yeah reaching out to a new market there and then the plan has always been to take this nationwide so 20 different cities 20 different producers hopefully not one and a half stone growth each time (laughs) (laughs) well you have to share out the tasting exactly i'm curious do you have that list of 20 now you don't have to share it but have have you got that list uh written Uh, down it's an ongoing one which you know like i do get approached by mps going oh come to our city (laughs) so you know we'll start a bidding process but no (laughs) Um, Bristol, Cardiff, Exeter, Oxford, Cambridge, York, Harrogate, Edinburgh. Yeah, all the awesome foods. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And they are all very independent, Mm. vibrant cities as well, which fits perfectly into the brand. I have to admit, Edinburgh was amazing. I went there very recently. Absolutely fabulous time. And the whiskey is great. I mean, the wine... Should should be should be what I'm talking about, but the whiskey was fabulous though. I mean, whiskey and food pairing. 
Oh. Number one just doesn't do any whiskey. <laughs> Soon, Yet. one day, Yet. one day. Yeah. If you need any taste testers for that expansion, <laughs> I'm a whiskey fiend. Excellent. So I'm well up for being a guinea pig for that. Brilliant. We'll do. We'll do a trade. We'll come to Taste of Bristol. <laughs> you, you come to the whiskey expansion at Number One. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fabulous. Sorry, I think we've just committed you to a whole new business. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think then the the independent nature of these cities, do you think it's something that's going to get more and more and more and keep growing? I think uh, independent nature of cities is always there. Mm. I think it is making it accessible to people to do easily. You know, Amazon's ruined shopping for a lot of people. I love Amazon. I've got so much stuff going on Amazon. (laughs) But if you want to support local independence... Yeah it requires action and I think I used to be a retailer and I used to be a retail troubleshooter and the reality of retail nowadays is that people are not adapting Mm. and independents if they want to survive they need to adapt to make it possible for consumers to support them and consumers in the same way that people are looking at plastic and reduction of that now people need to make active decisions to support them yeah i guess it's all very well we love this thought of the the, you know the independent cities and Mm. independent businesses and people going directly to independent um uh, shops and things like that and cafes and things like that but how often you know do you think right i'm going to go to a cafe and then time or whatever it is Mm. money or something Mm. like that throws you know something into the mix and then you end up just going to your nearest supermarket or your your chain coffee shop yeah i think I think it's it's making an active decision and it's um I think we're really lucky in Bath because everything's within about a 10 minute walk from each yeah, other. <laughs> like if you're in Bristol or something and you're you're traveling 45 minutes, you know, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. So um I think it's having thriving hubs and I think it's people making those decisions to support independence. Bottom line is independence will only survive if people support them. Mm-hmm. Um but independence can't also be um stoically holding on to 1985 and how they used to trade then you know apps and uh experiential um reasons to come in and engagement is is so important and making it feasible and i guess maybe that's why we're kind of seen as a new generation you know taste bath and novel wines you Mm -hmm. know we're bringing that independent spirit onto the internet and yeah. that's that's something new and and um that is going to be the future of retail definitely because you've got these you know it's all well and good saying to people you've got this personal choice this uh, personal responsibility to use the independence or, or lose them but also not to get too political um in terms of you know the current climate and and rent and things like that uh, you know it, it's a struggle for independent shops and things to to keep open yeah Oh no, I totally agree and I think but then people are constantly asking me for advice in Bath seeing as you know one of the foodies of Bath you know and a business person people ask me for advice it's, it is a case of adapting so it's having an online presence it's having a social media following it's um, getting engaged in the community and you know you can point the finger at as many people but the way you make a business work is by adapting and by being fluid and I, I mean I can think of lots of ways in which I've made mistakes over the last three years and how I've learned from them and I think that's what the independents probably will need to do do you think that should online should be their priority yeah 
yeah oh yeah it is and you know it's a sad reality of our lives but people are time poor that is how people shop you know I love the fact that you can order Auntie Mabel's birthday present online whether or not through me or through Ben and you know you can do it in your pajamas while having a cup of tea and that's what appeals to people you know um I don't know many people that go out shopping on a Saturday now. Um, you know, people are doing other things, like going out to restaurants or bike rides or whatever. Do you have people who um, come and buy your box and taste Bath who aren't from Bath and then they visit Bath? Do you have, uh, say someone had bought one of your boxes for the first time, fallen mm. in love with all the produce and they were coming to visit Bath, what is their, their perfect itinerary in your being a bath foodie they show up at bath spa train station where should they go i mean i'm sure you've got hundreds of places but (laughs) if if you were giving one example of the many where where should they go well if i was gonna if i was gonna go anywhere for food and drink Mm. i'd probably go to beckford bottle shop yeah that's because it is banging i mean their food yeah the wine is fab and you got some really knowledgeable guys in there but oh burrata with um toasted hazelnuts hello (laughs) honestly i can't stop thinking about it i might have to go after this um (laughs) it's so good or you know without sort of plugging another one of our mates i would say um Mike who runs Savouring Bath he does a food tour and you get to do like nine different stops where you get to sample loads of food yeah and um, meet all the producers and hear about their stories Um, I mean I would do that because then you get like more than one place (laughs) no that sounds ideal I mean everyone at home who's not from Bath should buy one of Helen's boxes Mm -hmm. uh, see what the food is like and then take a visit and do one of Mike's tours that's (laughs) that's like a a good week that is (laughs) Um, and then buy some wine. <laughs> it's really interesting how tourism, you know, is intertwined in that as well. Mm. Um, sort of when you go around traveling, you do see different tours, but you don't necessarily always think about doing them uh, on in your home city or, you know, the city over and that sort of thing. But maybe that's something that people should start doing. I think they should. I mean, you know, how many people go out for dinner to the same place all the time how Mm. boring is that you know you've got all these incredible independents and people creating amazing stuff on your doorstep I mean we've got Richard Bertone who is an absolute legend in the world of you know artisan bread he basically started the artisan bread revolution I get some croissant from Bertone for a corporate breakfast and they're like oh my goodness who is this guy and I'm like a legend how do you not know about him you know I find it I find it odd that people aren't engaged in their own foodie um sort of city and their scene you know it's it there's people out there that can easily educate you and give you a really good time um while discovering stuff and then you can be that smug person who goes to your mate oh my gosh you've not heard of Richard Burtonay what's wrong with you <laughs> yeah I guess it's being a, a tourist in your own city and yeah. then championing those characters and those people that really make Bath what Bath is yeah and I think with uh, the drop of the year eh? I mean we're trying not to go into politics yeah, here, people. we're like <laughs> it's like pate wine and food yum but um i think uh the drop of the year eh? you know there's loads of stuff to do here staycation staycation mm-hmm. sounds great all right lovely well thanks very much helen let's uh jump into our big challenge next oh, wine uh, yes yeah. <laughs> the bit you've all been waiting for yeah. uh, this is the taste test called where in the world 
Okay, so in this part of the podcast, uh, we're going to try and get you to guess uh, where in the world the wine is from. So if you guess first time, you go on our Tasters of Fame board. Uh, so far, we've only got two out of four people on there, uh, who's Eleanor Whitehead, who works for Novel Wines, and <laughs> uh, but she had, no, <laughs> she had no idea before, uh, and Tracy Chapman, who runs Chocolate Voyage. Okay, so uh, we're going to go through the tasting process. I'm going to take uh, you through it as well. Um, so I'm going to drop some clues because I've been dropping clues all series and it would only be fair to keep doing so um, so if you hold up the wine can you tell our listeners what it looks like please um, it's it's very light actually it's quite light in colour yeah um, gosh what else to say uh, it looks delicious. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It almost doesn't have a colour, really. Yeah. No, it's very light. And the two things you need for a darker colour in a wine is a thick skin and a hot climate. So if you get a nice clear wine like this, it's going to be a thin-skinned grape variety and probably a cooler climate as well. So main thing there is the cool climate. Should give you some indication of the country. So, so I'm laughing because so I'm thinking to myself, have you given me one of our local wines and you're like just <laughs> testing me <laughs> to see whether or not I know one of my babies? Well, let's have a look. Let's have a look. Let's give it a smell and tell me what you smell. Oh, that is just... mm. <laughs> what does it remind you of? It's very sweet. Yeah. In terms of... So fruit I'll wait, ripeness. I'll wait for Helen to... <laughs> Yeah, it's really sweet. I would say it's quite citrusy. I might be totally wrong. Definitely citrusy, yeah. I'm getting honey as well. Honey? honey. Yeah, a little oh. bit of honey. I'm getting quite floral notes. Yeah, I get that. Floral, well, yeah. definitely. It's kind of a white blossom smell. Yeah. Does anyone get the passion fruit, which is definitely... Yes, enough? I yeah. do. So <laughs> excitement. <laughs> like. So the fact that we've got real rich ripe fruit yeah. so it's not light fruit you're not getting very subtle lemon citrus are you you're getting more um kind of richer fruit mm. and you're saying yeah mm. fashion fruit as well yeah. is always tropical mm. so if we're thinking that this is a cooler climate yeah. but it's got all these sunny fruits in there we're kind of middle of europe yeah okay so give it a taste and tell me if you like it Oh yeah, that is delicious. It really does have that tropical, Very fruity much so, yeah. edge to it. Oh, it's almost like pineapple. Yes. Yep. Yeah, mm. definitely. And what do you think of the citrus? What kind of citrus is it? If you're thinking lemon, lime, orange, Great or grapefruit. Fruit. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Oh, I could totally be a wine expert now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I could, but that is absolutely divine. Mm. Ooh, yeah. So this is... If you take the grape, if I told you what the grape was, yeah, uh, there's three styles of this grape. There's yeah. the real northern climate style, which is very, very green, yeah, um, and citrusy. There's this style, uh, which has these lovely tropical fruits, yellow fruits, that sort of thing. And then there's the uh, other style, which is gooseberry and guava and all those sorts of things. Ooh. So we're kind of in the middle. Um, Shall I tell you what the grape is and see? Have you got an idea of where? where yeah, the I've so got far? an idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, this is Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. And it, well, there was a reason that I like it. <laughs> I am a savvy girl. Yeah. Yeah. But you this need is your audience. A very different style of Sauvignon. So we're not in the New World. Mm. We're in Europe. Um, what do we think? We're in a warm climate. 
I, oh, you know, this is pressure, isn't it? <laughs> I was going to say, I don't, I don't think it's Italian and I don't think it's Spanish. And you're, I, you're right. I'm you're, right, you're yeah. Right so and far. I don't think it's Portuguese. Right. So I'm just going to go through every country in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Romania. Oh, I really like or that Hungary. you guessed that. Well, you're, you're closer with Romania. Um, and I should probably give you that because it's actually Moldova. Wow. So you are nearly bang on with Salud, this. Moldova. <laughs> Hello. Um, so the really nice thing about Moldova is because it's landlocked continental climate, um, you get this lovely sunshine hours that go through it. Um, you get a little bit of breeze from the altitude, which moderates growing temperature. Um, and that means you end up somewhere in between the really Loire Valley green yeah. French Sauvignon and that New Zealand gooseberry Sauvignon. This is in the middle with pineapple, tropical, passion mm. fruit, flowers. Same kind of style that you get in Italy as well. So you weren't far off starting at Italy. Um, but yeah, Romania is a neighbour of Moldova, so maybe. Mm. <laughs> maybe I mean, Moldova's tiny, so Moldova like really. Moldova is tiny. I mean, you know. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. And how much is that? Because that is outrageous. So this is thirteen ninety nine at Novel Wines. So that isn't bad. Under £15 for this one. That is. I'm very surprised. I don't, I don't think I've had wine from Moldova, and that is <sighs> just beautiful oh, it's better bitch. than their eurovision entry anyway <laughs> i was trying to make it think of a eurovision gag and i couldn't i couldn't get there it was like deuce poil or something like that but oh that is that is unbelievably lush good so that was the uh the big reveal is the picari sauvignon blanc uh, which is a moldovan wine it's a winery set up in 1827 hence the big fat 1827 oh. right in front of it um, and this supplies the royal cellars, so the queen is drinking this stuff, wow. uh, or Woman at least taste, drinking I from this winery. Um, cork bottle uh, as well, so a bit old-fashioned, but you've got a bit of theatre, nice wine like this. And because it's got those lovely yellow fruits, you can move away from white fish and go pork and apple sauce and that sort oh, of thing. Yes. Really nice with patties as well, so yeah, it's good for yeah. you. Um, but yeah, anything with a little bit more body. Um, a little bit more salt as well because it's still got acidity to stand up to the salt really nicely but the big thing there is it's got body viscosity so it can go with more than just fish it's kind of your poultry pork wine um, I was so yeah, going to nice say like book. I think that would go really well with um, kind of like an Asian kind of food as well because mm. I think it, it could hold up against it am I totally wrong? No no you could definitely go on the sweet sour level so kind of mild Thai or Chinese yeah. cuisine that sort of thing would mm. be really good um, it would struggle because it doesn't have the sugar to stand up to mm. Indian and uh, no. hot Thai food but it would go really well with sweet sweet sour kind of Asian dishes It's quite a diverse white then because yeah, yeah, traditionally definitely. you do think white fish do you know but that mm. can go with so many different things yeah mm. I think because it's got both acidity and body and a bit of sugar it works really well Ooh, cool so you all like it down to uh, what would you pair that with in Bath Ooh. oh in Bath uh, actually Bath soft cheese yeah their brie would work really well with yeah. this um, or even cured meats actually you could get yeah. away with on this um because you do Somerset charcuterie, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah. I think, yeah, that would go really well with like a really nice, I, I think actually with something quite fatty. Mm. 
like um cured duck or something just to oh, yeah. like yeah Sounds should we lovely. try it we'll yeah. try it we're all getting hungry now <laughs> research purposes <laughs> my stomach's rumbling but yes yes definitely let's let's plan a date <laughs> <laughs> well brilliant we, you were almost there on that one almost on on the board does she make um, the leaderboard oh that's a good question uh let's defer to producer cat Oh, you're the neighbour of the oh. Taster of Fame. <laughs> I always have to be unique, honestly. I make your own special board. Yes. We're going to have a neighbour's board yeah. for <laughs> anyone who guesses the country next door <laughs> to the country that it is. I love that. That is brilliant. Uh, we're putting Emma on there as well from the last uh, podcast. Okay, lovely. So we're going to move into the final segment of the podcast, uh, which is what, Yaz? What are we moving into? So the into? final segment is Ask the Experts. So that's you two. Um, and we got a question from the community for each of you so do remember if you like to get involved with the podcast send us over uh, a message email tweet anything uh, and get your question read out so we'll start with Helen Um, so first of all obviously a fan how do you make great pate so great pate I mean it sounds great produce so um I used to be very discerning about the meat that I used. I just think that it really actually does make a huge difference to the final taste um, in whatever you use. So if you're going to use shallots or garlic or um, seasoning, then make sure you're using the absolute best. So like mold and salt is an absolute must. Um, My husband always tells me not to take it on the flight because it's a little suspect packet of white powder. (laughs) But I'm like, it's mold and salt. I can't live without it. Um, And also, I think just don't rush it. Um, Follow your instinct. I mean, I really feel quite passionately about how you make the best patty, quite clearly. (laughs) Um, It's all down to the seasoning. So I used to have like a little blitzer where you would put in different fresh herbs, salt, pepper, juniper berries, um, whatever sort of seasoning you're using and then blitz it so that you get a really fine uh seasoning across the whole of the pate um because that that really really gives it extra flavor and oomph and put loads of booze in it (laughs) nice i do that sounds good (laughs) brilliant if i could put you then on the spot question from me yeah best independent it's a very wide bracket independent producer in bath favourite child yes favourite child if they're coming to Bath who should they definitely 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 go see Um, the difficulty is with food producers is lots of people say to me oh my goodness Helen I had this where can I get it I had a text from a client the other day and um, a lot of places in Bath don't sell it okay (laughs) it's not like you can go to a shop and buy you Mm. know loads of local Bath produce um if you are going to Bath for the first time and you need to try something, mm-hmm. I personally would go to Paxton and Whitfield um, and buy some of the local cheeses, mainly because they're lush, mm-hmm. um, but also they will just constantly feed you different samples of cheese, um, which in my book is a good afternoon. Sounds like a winner. I mean, that was a harsh. I did put you on the spot there, Don't but worry. thank you very much. I think that was a good answer. Yeah, excellent. Okay, Ben, so the next um, question is for you. So we've tried Sav Blanc in the uh, taste test. So uh, I like Sav Blanc. What else should I try? Yeah, I get asked this question all the time because there's a lot of Sauvignon Blanc fans out there mm. and some of them want to experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Helen. <laughs> I have my hand up. 
<laughs> Describe the scene. Yeah. So uh, you tend to find that Sauvignon Blanc fans want easy drinking, white wine with good acidity. They want it dry, but not too dry. Um, and some of that tropical fruit to come through, but not to the point where it's overpowering and you start tasting the sugar. Um, so we basically want fresh, fruity, summer white wines. Um, and the best place for that, if you want to try something new, is Austria and Georgia. And the reason for that is Austria are doing a grape called Gruner Veltliner, um, which is very fresh, herbal, um, very lightly fruity white wine, but it has this lovely hot pepper finish. So it's a really interesting style to drink, similarly to Sauvignon Blanc, but also try something very new. And then the other one is Georgian Riccatzatelli, which if you buy the unoaked version or the partially unoaked Riccatzatelli wines or any of the Riccatzatelli that hasn't been left on its skins and gone into the orange style that's really popular in Georgia. So we're keeping on the very fresh, fruity Riccatzatelli wines. You end up with a very herby, um, slightly honeyed note like the wine we had today, mm. um, but having those lovely yellow fruits in there as well and also apple. The other one, if you want a third one to go for, is go on, throw it in the mix. ferment that is unoaked, which is similar to unoaked Chardonnay, but it's very intensely apple So if you like your Sauvignon and you like your cider, mm. ferment is a very easy Ooh, one I'm to go for. i by that. Yeah, so look out for ferment, which is Hungarian mainly, yeah. Riccatzatelli, Georgian, and Gruner Veltliner, Austria. And I'll put the links below as well. Amazing, yeah, because we're, we're in the southwest. It is kind of cider country. So <laughs> very true, yeah. The combination of those, very interesting. <laughs> so I'm intrigued. On, on Novel Wines, have you done a box of Sovi alternative? I call it Sovi, uh, <laughs> alternatives, because I want one and you need to curate them for me. <laughs> uh, yep, we've got a mixed case with Sauvignon alternatives. We've also got a video yeah. that Kat filmed for us as well with me chatting about Sauvignon alternatives, mm. if you want to watch that. Um, yeah, we do a lot of alternates. So if you have your safe bet, have a look on our website and mm. we'll suggest some things for you to try out as well. Perfect. There we are. Get your requests in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. So, Helen, uh, do you have a question for about wine before we go? Well, I think you just stole mine. <laughs> uh, so just what's your what's your ambition for novel wine? Because obviously what you're doing is you're bringing expertise and you're, you're telling us all the exciting alternatives. And to be honest, I don't want to have to go into a waitrose and go, I want the firm and a blah, 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 blah one. <laughs> I just want you to send it to me. So um, that's great and really exciting what where do you see it going what's going to happen next for you guys uh good question uh so for us we've always wanted to fill the gap so the wine society does classics really well mm. and a lot of our customers are wine society customers who buy the unusual wines from us mm. um you know you've got people like naked wines connecting you with wine makers doing really nice uh french spanish mm. wines etc um so there's a lot of people out there doing the classics really well. And I know they've started adding on weird and wonderful countries as part of their portfolio. But I want Novel Wines to be on that level, mm-hmm. the specialist in weird and wonderful wines. So mm-hmm. it will be mainly a case of building trust on a national level mm-hmm. so that whenever someone wants to try something new, they step away from their usual buyer and they come to Novel Wines and they know that whatever they buy, They've got a full taste guarantee. So we've only sent one bottle back once in three years. 
because the customer didn't like it. So touch wood, that carries on. Um, I shouldn't have advertised that. <laughs> and, it wasn't your mum, was it? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, just be the place that people know they can go risk-free mm. to try new wines. And the best thing about if we get to that level is it means we can give anyone a platform if mm. we like their wine. The struggle now is we have to do a lot of work like you do mm. to give people access to those wines. Mm. Whereas if we're in that position where we're very well known, very well trusted, and it's only a step from that business to that business to try something new, um, we can showcase some of the best wines in the world that people have never tried. So mm. that's where we're going, hopefully. I mean, I was reading an article on millennials this morning and literally they're so keen to try new stuff and step away. And if you're spending £14, a lot of people are drinking less in that age bracket. Exactly. And actually, if you're wanting to try something new and different and get away from this cheap tack that you can get, you know, actually, you guys are kind of offering quite a good service for that new generation. Yeah, I think drinking less and drinking better is a, a really important part. Yeah. Or drinking more and drinking better <laughs> Even better, yeah. Drink away. <laughs> well, we were talking in the in the previous podcast about how the rise of dinner parties um mm. are coming up. So I think it's definitely the the opening is there, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Helen Perfect. Rich from Taste of Bath, thank you very, very much. Yeah, it's been brilliant having you. Thank you. Um, thanks to Yaz as well, as always, for being my co-host. You're and thanks welcome. to Kat for producing this podcast from Gradino. Um, I've been Ben. I've been Yaz. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.